0: media, but sometimes I do, and today is one of those days that I'm going to do so. So if you can turn with me to Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, we started in Luke, and we're going to take what would be a part two, if you will, Luke chapter 12, I think the passage is up there, so I don't even have to say it to you, starting with verse 13, Interestingly enough, this text that we're going to look at, I think it dovetails so well with our missions update. We chose the missions update six, seven weeks ago, chose this date. I wouldn't be teaching in Luke 12, except for we had some weather issues uh, in, the, in our three, four weeks of uh, uh, compressed winter lately, although it's beautiful today. Uh, so uh, as the Lord would have it, Uh, this times very well that we'll look at verses 13 through 21 and certainly it underscores the need uh, for a heart for missions as we'll look at uh, here in this parable that jesus tells so starting in verse 13 if your bibles are open if you don't have a bible raise your hand we'll be glad to put one in your hand so you can follow along starting with verse 13 luke chapter 12 then one from the crowd said to him teacher tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me but he said to him man Who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And when he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no more room to store my crops. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. There I will store all my crops and all my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Let me read that part again. You have many goods laid up for many years. At least that's what he thought. Take your ease, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be that you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Lord, we ask again for your Holy Spirit to now speak mightily by your word in Jesus' name. Amen. This is, um, I'll tell tell you a little bit about this guy in just a minute. Let me ask you a question. What if you acquired everything you ever dreamed of? Let me go back so this doesn't distract anyone. (laughs) Pictures have a way of doing that. There's a reason for it. We'll get to that in a sec. But what if you acquired everything you ever dreamed of? And you were resolved, like the man in this parable, you were resolved to make a determined effort to enjoy it. Remember, many years still remain to savor it all, all that you have pulled together. You've got everything you've ever dreamed of, all the things. You finally got everything on the list in that catalog that came. But you didn't know that that night would be your last. This was the unknown plight of the man in the parable that Jesus portrays. He was preparing to finally enjoy it all, to really enjoy it all. He'd already been enjoying it, but now he was making a determined effort to really take all the pleasure in, to breathe it in, really enjoy it like he had never done before. But he didn't get to. I'll tell you about this man here. He's a member of the prominent and wealthy Astor family. His great-grandfather, John Jacob Astor, had established the foundation of the family's fortune in fur trading back in the late 1700s and the early 1800s. The family later entered real estate and finance, among other ventures. He was Harvard educated. John Jacob IV, you know when you're called the fourth, it means something in some places. He was a business magnate, a real estate developer, a capital investor, an inventor. He even invented a a, a way to put brakes on bicycles. He was a writer. He'd even served as a lieutenant colonel in the Spanish-American War. In the late 1800s, he built a hotel called the Astoria. Ever heard of that? It was dubbed the world's most luxurious hotel when it debuted In 1897, there in New York City. He built it right next door to the 1893, it debuted in 1893, luxury hotel that his cousin William Waldorf Astor had built, namely at Waldorf. Actually, they ended up joining the two hotels with what they called Peacock Alley between the two. So you could actually walk back and forth between the two properties. The properties would later be co-managed and co-branded as the Waldorf Astoria. Later it was torn down and rebuilt at 301 Park Avenue. And it was torn down to be rebuilt at Park Avenue so they could build the Empire State Building where the Empire State Building sits today is where the original Waldorf Astoria complex was. You actually see a picture. That was the original one right there. Today, the Empire State Building is there. There is a Waldorf Astoria. It was actually the tallest hotel for many years uh, in New York City. You can still stay there now if you have a lot of money. (laughs) Interesting, though, that Jesus' parable of a wealthy, powerful individual, even back then, they were tearing things down and rebuilding better and bigger and grander and more amazing. The things that Jesus told 2,000 years ago still hold true today, don't they? Nothing's changed in the heart. When John Jacob Astor IV boarded the Titanic in 1912, he was the richest person on the ship. The richest man to walk on the ship. Among an elite group of ultra-wealthy, Passengers occupying the first class accommodations and the maiden and only transatlantic voyage the Titanic would ever take. It was the maiden voyage and it was the last voyage. Also on the ship were other business magnets and tycoons. There was mining magnate Benjamin Guggenheim and he was on the ship with his mistress who was a singer from France. The co-owners of Macy's, Isidore strauss And his wife, Ida, were also on the Titanic. Slated to be on the ship, they were all supposed to be on the ship. Were other industrial tycoons and and John Astor's business peers, J.P. Morgan, was supposed to be on the ship. He made his fortune in oil, steel, and banking. Milton Hershey, yes. You're thinking candy bars, you're thinking the right guy. Milton S. Hershey, he had spent the winter in France... He was supposed to be on the ship, but they had other pressing business, and they had to return a week early. Henry Clay Frick, he uh, made his fortune in steel and mining. He was supposed to be on there, but uh, his wife had sprained her ankle. They weren't able to get on the ship. (laughs) Alfred Vanderbilt, heir to the Vanderbilt fortune of shipping and railroad, he was supposed to be on the Titanic as well, but uh, another business thing had come up, and he wasn't able to be on it. These were the men and families that had made their fortune in what was called the Gilded Age, from 1870 to 1900. That's where these fortunes were amassed primarily. But each of these men, they had unrelated, as I mentioned, last-minute conflicts. So some of them, uh, due to pressing issues, couldn't uh, couldn't be on this initial voyage. So they had to change their plan. And by the way, J.P. Morgan would die one year later, not getting on the ship bought him one year. And Alfred Vanderbilt would die three years later on another ship that would sink called the Lestania. Some of those slated for the return trip, it was supposed to return on April 20th back to England. Some of those slated for the return trip included J.C. Penney, who founded J.C. Penney's. Frank Sieberling, the founder of Goodyear Tire and Rubber, was supposed to be on the return trip. So the first class was a virtual who's who of the wealthiest people on planet Earth. But John Jacob Astor IV, the richest one on the ship, was among numerous wealthy and powerful who had no conflicts. They didn't have any last-minute conflicts, so they were able to board, and he was able to arrange to be among those to make history on the unsinkable ship. Three years before boarding the Titanic in 1909, John Jacob Astor IV, he had divorced his wife, by whom they had had two children, he was 47 years old in 1912. He had just remarried an 18-year-old socialite by the name of Madeline Talmage Force. She was from a wealthy socialite family in New York as well, so he had divorced a couple years earlier, remarried. It was kind of a big deal that he had married someone 18. That was in all the newspapers, long since forgotten now. In fact, the newlyweds, they were returning from their extensive honeymoon that had covered Egypt and Europe. They were returning to New York, and then after getting back to New York, they would uh, head north of the city to Astor's palatial estate called Ferncliff. You know, when your place is called a name like Biltmore or Ferncliff or things like that, it's not your average place. It uh, was a property that stretched for a mile and a half—not talking about a couple of acres here. A mile and a half with a commanding view of the picturesque Hudson River. Can you imagine what that would be worth today, that property? His estate also had a sports pavilion called the Astor Courts, which reportedly housed the first residential indoor swimming pool in the United States. He had an indoor tennis court, exquisite uh, guest bedrooms. Down in the lower level was a bowling alley and a shooting range. No need to go to his shooting range, he had all that. At age 47, his net worth in those dollars was $85 million. In today's money, well over $2.1 billion. He was one of the world's original billionaires. One of the wealthiest men on planet Earth when he stepped foot on the Titanic. Remember, he had just been remarried. He was finally for the next 45, 50 years or whatever God would give him and enjoy this new marriage all that he had and sit back and take it all in. But What did Jesus say in Mark 8 36? What will a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Now I don't know for certain that I hope that John Jacob Astor IV is in heaven. I'm not here to say he's not. He could have called on the name of the Lord in the last minute, but the point is he didn't know when he boarded that ship that all the plans that were laid out weren't going to happen. But he's not the only one. I want to take you through a little uh, walk through history. And over the years, so many have caught us by surprise, haven't they? I wasn't around, but this guy 1955, he passed. Some of you may have been around then, I think some of you were. 24 years of age. Just took his Porsche out. Beautiful Porsche. Had it going well over 100 miles an hour. And you can see how it ended up. You never know what the next hour holds or 10 minutes holds. 24 years of age. He's still iconic even to this day, isn't he? James Dean. College kids that don't even know who he is still have posters of him in their dorm rooms today. Who is it? I don't know. There's a really cool poster. I like the way the cigarette hangs out of his mouth. Yeah. It was hard to find one without a cigarette, but I did find some photos without. A few years later, 1963. Youngest man ever elected president. The youngest man ever assumed president was actually Theodore Roosevelt at the age of 42, but that's because William McKinley had been assassinated. But The youngest man to be elected president is still John F. Kennedy. And so on November 22nd, just six days before Thanksgiving, I wasn't, some of you were alive, that must have been a really weird Thanksgiving for the nation. You've seen a little picture of John Jr., You know, standing there at salute. What a day. It was shock. It was disbelief. The whole nation rocked. It's something so tragic. They were called Camelot, him and Jackie Kennedy. They were royalty, they were the closest thing America had to royalty at that time American royalty. But his life was cut short. 46 years of age. John Astor, 47. John F. Kennedy, 46. James Dean, 24. 1967. Some of you know this song, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. Otis Redding was called the King of Soul. Although he only lived to be 26 years of age, the plane wrecked. and The entire crew, everyone on the plane died. And... When he died, that song was actually just soon to be released, and it would actually become number one, but he would never get a chance to see it. He was really at the beginning of what would have been a monstrous career, but it never fulfilled, because his soul was required on December the 10th. These are the dates up top are the dates that these people, they were tragic losses, caught everybody by surprise, Nobody was thinking when they flew to Wisconsin that was going to be another show and everything else, but no one expected that to be the last they would hear from Otis Redding. Bruce Lee, 1973. It's because of him, every guy in my t- decade needed nunchucks. <laughs> Not because we knew how to use them, but because we thought this would look really cool. In the 70s, every guy wanted to be Bruce Lee. You wanted to be able to kick that high without straining a muscle. You wanted to have that 2% body fat. You wanted to do roundhouses. And yet his life was cut tragically short at the age of 32. You know, he'd had seizures just before uh, in May. uh, He died there in July. But in May, he had a uh, seizure uh, that uh, they took him to the hospital, ran a lot of tests. and. And it, was, it started giving him headaches. The night that he died, uh, he actually said he had a really splitting headache, and he was going to go up and take a nap. You know, you think guys like him don't need naps. Other guys need naps. Bruce Lee doesn't need naps. But his head he never woke up from that nap. He went upstairs, never came down for dinner, because there was swelling on the brain, and, and there was, there's still even to this day exactly what it was Um, but the bottom line is another life cut short that seemingly had it all. As a matter of fact, they credit Bruce Lee to the way Asians, they changed the way Asians were portrayed in movies because it's credited to Bruce Lee. He did a lot. I still like to watch some of his movies. 1977. Elvis Presley 42 I'm 46. He was only 42 years of age. Some of you from Mississippi, I think you from He was born in Tupelo, Mississippi. Born and raised there. Not only did Memphis mourn, but people mourn and people in Vegas still dress up like him all these years later, don't they? He still has a following of people that weren't even alive when he was alive. And yet, life cut short at 42 years of age, drug overdose. This one, most of, some of you are like, who's Len Bias? You know, some of you might, this one, this one really struck me. I graduated high school in 1987, but I just finished, I just finished my junior year, 1986. Uh, Len Bias was taken as number two pick in the NBA draft. He was an instant millionaire but he never got a chance to do anything with it because he died just a couple of days later of a cocaine overdose. And he really, by friends that talk about him, that he really was not kind of the drug party kind of guy, but he decided to celebrate a little bit differently. And he never woke up. 22 years of age, he had the vertical leap I always dreamed of. See that? He's doing a face job on Michael Jordan there. All the potential... In the world, and yet the life cut short at 22 years of age. 1997. This was uh, one day after my wife's birthday. I'll never forget where we were at. We were down in near Charleston, South Carolina. We were living in Charlotte, North Carolina at the time. You remember where you're at with some of these things. You might. I did. I remembered exactly where I was at because uh, it was the t- we pulled into a gas station and people were in a big circle talking about. Princess Diana has died. People couldn't believe it. All because it's running away from paparazzi. Car speeding too fast, loses control. Just 36. By the way, the, uh, the royal family's old money makes the Astor's family old money look really, really new. This goes back a long ways into British history. 36 years of age, so much life still ahead. 2011, Steve Jobs. He would be more in line with the modern day version of John Jacob Astor in the sense of billionaire in our lifetime. When he died, when he died, Apple was the most valuable company, market capitalization on planet Earth when he passed away. 56 years of age, all, still a lot of life left ahead to enjoy all the, I mean, he finally, he had reached the top of the top of the top, and yet his life was cut, cut short. And there's this statement, C.T. Studd, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Isn't that true? I mean you can't you can have all the accomplishments in the world but accomplishments don't go anywhere when life ends this rich man that Jesus talks about he had he had finally pulled it all together and really had finally built barns big enough to contain it all and he had many years left so he calculated folks we cannot calculate what we have left We can't even speculate. We simply follow the Lord and say, Lord, Thy will be done in my life. The iconic list of famous people who seemingly had it all to suddenly die young or younger than any one of us would expect it, it just continues to grow. I could have gone on and on. Lou Gehrig, Marilyn Monroe sam cook roberto clemente buddy holly richie valens Jimi hendrix john lennon jim belushi selena perez river phoenix kurt cobain john kennedy jr dale earnhardt jr michael jackson whitney houston robin williams and that is a short list a very short list i could have gone a lot longer but we don't have that kind of time i haven't even ever done a study like this i've never one done where i've done all the biographical sketches in just a couple of minutes but it's to make the point that I think Jesus makes. When we get to the, thir- Luke, the 13th chapter of Luke, you'll see that Jesus talks about people that died when a tower fell and that some had been executed. He used real lives, he used real life examples to his hearers to say, You remember this happening, don't you? He said, You remember when that tower fell? And everyone's like, Oh, yeah, we remember that. You remember when these people were executed? Oh, yeah, I remember that. And he says. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you also likewise will perish. Jesus was making the point to say, in your lifetime, you've seen people pass that surprised you. And Jesus is saying, you shouldn't be surprised because this happens to everyone. And by the way, young people today think this is ancient history. You know, when John Jacob Astor died in 1912, when the Titanic went down, when he died in 1912, do you realize there's a lady, she's the oldest face, current Facebook user in the world. I think she's 108. She lives in California. Uh, she actually just stopped driving two years ago. She was five years old when the Titanic went down. We have people alive right now. It's not ancient history. Satan would have you believe it's na- ancient history, but it's not. Matter of fact, that's why when I look at the prophecies of the Bible, I'm convinced that were in the last days because wars and rumors of war encompassed World War I, World War II, and all the rumors we're in right now. The world had never seen a war where China was involved, Japan was involved, all of Europe was involved, North Africa was involved. That was in our lifetime. My grandmother was 37 years of age when James Dean died, and she's alive right now. She was older than James Dean by 13 years. If John F. Kennedy was alive, he'd only be one year older than my grandmother. He'd be 97. She's 96. And I had lunch with her on Friday. This is not ancient history. This is now. We tend to forget that no matter how many people have tried and failed to find peace and to find fulfillment on earth through possessions, through relationships, through careers, through a life of pleasure or accomplishments, no matter how many thousands of millions have tried it and failed to make earth into heaven, no matter how many have died seemingly way too young pursuing their passions, people often have the mindset that these are just very random occurrences. They're just very random but actually, A, they're not so random. And they're magnified instances only because of fame are they magnified. That's the only reason they're magnified, because many other people will die today in Chesterfield County and in the state of Virginia, United States, but no one will know or care. True? Because they're not famous. No one knows who they are. But we know that the certainty is this that one out of one will die. One out of every one. And that those and that these things, these things don't just happen to other people, do they? They don't just happen to everybody else. Our family lost two sisters. One of my sisters at 21 and my brother Montel, one at 37. Jesus came expressly to save souls from sin and death, didn't they? That's what he came for. He doesn't despise the rich man, he wants him to come to his senses and be rich towards God, to be saved. James 4.14, for what is your life? It is even a vapor It appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You know, at some level, everyone knows this, right? At some level, everyone, oh yeah, oh, I know our life's a vapor. I already know that. Some level we know it, and yet it's deeply suppressed. How is it that we know it, but we don't really know it? Does that make sense? We know it intellectually, but to really know it the way Jesus would have us to truly understand that our life is but a vapor. When life ends, nobody's taking anything with them. John Jacob Astor didn't get to take the swimming pool one-and-a-half-mile property. He also had a home on Fifth Avenue, which you probably would expect. And he had other homes, too. The yacht membership in Newport, Rhode Island, didn't get to take that either. All of the things that money could buy. When life ends, no one will take with them possessions. Don't get to take status forward. I mean, people have reached great status, but they don't get to take that with them. You don't get to take the money, don't get to take the health. I mean, if it wasn't for the brain piece, Bruce Lee and Len Bias were the picture of health, weren't they? Don't get to take relationships. We can't take anything, but here's the good news. We can be taken up forever with God the Father through the blood of Jesus. Did you hear me? We can't take anything, but we can be taken to be with the Lord. When I come to a text like this, it's so stark and straightforward. Not every text is the same in the Bible. Some texts are are discipleship-oriented, but this one is just Jesus speaking in raw truth to say, here's the crux of the matter. It's not my words. It's Jesus' word. He's saying this person is a fool that doesn't count the word of God and the warning of God and listen to it. But when I come to a text like this, you simply want to point to it and let it digest. Let it digest. Let the Lord, let the Holy Spirit speak directly to you as he speaks to me. I've been kind of labored over this text all week. I'm personally reminded of how simple but clear the call of Christ is. It's very simple. Even a child can comprehend the simplicity of it, but it's crystal clear, isn't it? At the name of Jesus, we're called to bow the knee, turn from sin, and take up our cross and follow him. To refuse is foolishly to choose a very short vapor in a fallen world. And many people, sadly, are choosing the short vapor that you can't hold. You ever try to grab a vapor? You can't hold it. It just kind of goes through your hands. Even if we're saved, when we come to a text like this, I believe that the Lord really wants all of us to take stock and to examine our heart as it relates to what is our aim in life. What's our aim what is it that we're pursuing in life? Maybe we don't have the wealth or material prosperity of John Jacob Astor IV or the lives that we looked at so tragically ending. We might not have their wealth or their status or their, or their fame, but are we busy fixated on our own little worlds? Or are we busy about the Father's business and bringing the gospel a life-changing message of Jesus Christ to those that are in darkness. And I'm talking about bringing it to the rich, to the poor, to the famous, to the not-so-famous, to the not-famous at all. We go to Bon Air tonight, they're not rich or famous, but they are in chains, and they are definitely in darkness. If you are with us on Wednesday nights in February for our Finances, Faith, and Freedom series, you might remember that 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus spoke, uh, spoke in the Gospels deal with money and wealth, 16 of the 38. This, of course, is one of those 16. One of the reasons I felt led to do uh, the series over the past few Wednesday nights was because of the incredibly strong gravitational pull that material things, acquiring new things, and attaining new levels of money or wealth or prosperity has on people, including people in the church. Would you agree with that? It's not just the world that deals with this. The church. Matter of fact, one of the reasons why the church is so lukewarm in America is it's so attracted to status and stuff and activity and wealth. What Jesus warned about that to the church of Sardis and to the church of Laodicea. He said, you're, you think you're rich and you're, you're completely bankrupt. And so it's a real warning and a reminder to us as well. And I would say this as well. Jesus said that his return would be like the days of Noah. What was that like? Well, people were incredibly self-absorbed in the days of Noah. They are eating, drinking, giving in marriage. Marrying. The world was just full of wickedness, but none of them wanted anything to do with what Noah was trying to tell them. Come, come, come have life. Nah, we, we, we got it made here. We got many years of, we're going to build more barns. We're going to do this, we're going to do that. They didn't realize That the clock was actually ticking. And so the Lord wants us to become less and less enamored with this world, not more and more enamored with this world. Because it's a mirage. I guarantee you, if we could call back from the grave, and again, I don't know, I don't know where these people are for eternity. I pray that many of them called on the name of Jesus and surprised, say, Wow, Elvis is in heaven. How did this happen? Well, I, I was about to slip into eternity and I asked God to save me, and he did. I don't know. But here's the thing, if we called any of them back from the grave, they would all say the same thing. Their testimony, whether they were in heaven or whether they were in hell, all of them have the same testimony. I didn't realize that these things were meaningless. I thought they meant everything, but I realize they don't. Let's look real briefly at three warnings and reminders of this sobering parable. I will make this really, there's bullet points, if you will, and we'll come to a close. Uh, Jesus Three things. First he has this brother that wants an inheritance and Jesus said, who made made me a judge or arbitrator? Uh, It was common to go to the priesthood, to rabbis, to arbitrate issues. Now Jesus is a rabbi, but he didn't come to arbitrate issues, although someday he will in the millennium reign of Christ. His first coming was not to arbitrate people's property issues, it was to bring them the message of salvation their greatest need. He was not looking at secondary issues, he was looking at the primary issue, and that's salvation. But then he takes this opportunity to speak of covetousness. And if you're taking notes under the attraction, just three things, the attraction, the acquisition, and the appointment. The attraction, the acquisition, the appointment. Jesus is reminding that life is not about the abundance of things and possessions. But really, uh, if you watch any television, you're going to see commercial after commercial that will tell you that life is about the abundance of things. You need that infinity. You need more furniture. You need this new phone because your phone is three weeks old and it's outdated, (laughs) right? So you're going to have to keep up. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. See, the ways of God in the world are opposite. Jesus said, I want you to look up, not horizontal. I want you to look vertically. When you look vertically, the only horizontal you will see is the same way he looked vertically, and that was people that are lost and actually extending and reaching out. Second Peter 1.4 says, Having escaped the corruption that is in the world, through lust. See, our flesh, from the time we're born, our flesh craves things that are temporary, things that are flawed, things that are substitutes for the life of Christ that only God provides. Wouldn't you agree? Our flesh craves very temporary things. Even food that we eat, and we need food for sustenance, but we still crave, I like as much as you like, a really good dessert. But once it's over, like, wow, that only lasted two minutes. And we're already looking forward to the next time we have dessert, right? We're already looking forward to lunch when we're in the middle of breakfast because we're so temporarily fixed. People will have this conversation. What are we having for dinner? Can we just enjoy breakfast first? I mean, really. Time moves fast enough as it is. Can we please just enjoy this? But we have this attraction to things. We have this attraction. Even the ones that don't acquire it want to live vicariously through it. That's why people love People Magazine and Forbes. Well, if I can't be Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or John Jacob Astor, at least I can read about it and feel for just a moment what it would feel like. That's why Robin Leach had Lifestyles the Rich and Famous. Everybody liked to watch it? Proverbs 23:4 Do not overwork to be rich. Because of your understanding, cease. What a great word. Solomon wrote that. He had a lot of money. And he realized that none of it... Solomon had everything excess, didn't he? Excess houses, excess gold, excess silver, excess wives. (laughs) And no matter what he tried, he came to realize it was all vanity. But we don't think Solomon was right. Everyone says, well, I need to try for myself. Okay. Okay be number 1,285,6, whatever it is, to try it again. But not only overwork to be rich. Feel free to insert possessions wherever you see money, because where money is, possessions follow. Unless you're stealing something, or inheriting something, you can't get anything, possessions, unless you have money, so they all go hand in hand. And 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, from which some have strayed from the faith, See, it is a church issue too. Some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced them through with many sorrows. Paul would write in the second epistle, 2 Timothy 3.2, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters and proud. Interesting that Paul writes both of these things, that love of money is the root of all uh, many kinds of evil and that people will stray from the faith and that people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Paul writes, notice that Paul is writing this as a church-planting missionary pastor and apostle, writing to a pastor and telling this young pastor, I'm telling you, I'm going to write it in one letter and I'm going to write in a second letter. People pursuing stuff will always be with you. Warn them. Warn them. Warn yourself, Timothy. Why do you think some ministries have fallen off the wagon? they themselves fell in love with money. Not just the people in the pews. What about the acquisition? It's one thing to look with covetous eyes, but then to pursue it and actually gain it all. Well, this is what this man did. His, it said that the ground had yielded plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I don't have any more room. I'll tell you, you know, most of us don't think this way. You have to have a lot of bucks to say, I'll just rip down the old buildings. Most of us would be like, Whoa, whoa, whoa! Those cost a lot of money to build, but when you have a lot of cash, just rip them down. We'll build bigger ones, better ones. We can do better than that. We can fill more. We can actually acquire more. He said, "I'll have all the, I'll have all the room for to store all my goods and all my crops." And then I'll be able to enjoy many years. I have treasure laid up for many years. I'll be able to take ease, eat, drink. I'll throw the best parties, the most incredible. I think like the Great Gatsby. You know, people give their lives to gaining more and more and more and more. And no matter what they acquire, never brings satisfaction. I was explaining this to my daughters recently. I said, you know, you got to understand, people that can buy anything, I mean anything, they can't have any satisfaction after a while because it becomes very meaningless because nothing, you kind of get it and you realize this isn't doing anything on the inside. I can t- touch it, I can look at it, but it's not preve- not bringing peace. We talked about what money can't buy in our series. It can't buy happiness. It can't buy peace. can't buy joy. But wealth is such a snare. Jesus said it's such a snare that in Mark 10, 24, that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You know, these verses are still in our Bibles. Amen? They were there in 1920, they were there in 1912, and they were there well before it, and they're still in our Bibles today. And I know that the, uh, that, that the needle was a narrow place where they had to get the camel through and you had to take the things off to actually get through that space. But the point is you had to take the stuff off because you can't take it with you. But rich men have a lot. Remember Pilate and Herod, they were the same way. They wanted to hear from Jesus, but Pilate even said, what is truth? Because if I listen to you, I might have to step off this throne. I'm not about to do that. I'll take my chances. But all all the acquisition, the satisfaction never comes. That's why Paul says... Uh, to Timothy as well in 1 Timothy 6:6. 6, 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. But many in the church aren't content either. Are you content? Am I content? Brother K.P. O'Hannon said, "Lifting your eyes from the things of this world is an activity that must begin where you are. It has to begin now. We have to think differently. We have to think like Christ and say, Lord." All that you have offered, all that you have given is more than enough for me. What have we done this past week that will last for eternity? I mean, think about it. Go back through your week. Take the Rolodex of your mind and go back. What have we done in this past week that will really last for eternity, truly last for eternity? What if we had the same drive to see people saved, to love people, to encourage people, to strengthen people, to make disciples as we do to pamper ourselves? All Americans know how to pamper themselves. It, we, we've, we've learned it more than perhaps any society going back to maybe you get to go way back to ancient Rome. We've, we've learned in many ways to pamper ourselves. And I'm not saying that, uh, that time for rest and recharging and relaxation and taking a vacation, I, I don't have an issue with it. I do those things myself. But a life of serving versus a life of self-serving are two completely different things. Wouldn't you agree? A life of service versus a life of self-absorption. And the whole country, uh, we're a nation that is is just fixated on self-absorption. This man was fixated on self-absorption. He wasn't concerned about other people. He was saying, I'm going to enjoy what I have. The rest of y'all, good luck to you, was his philosophy. But we might not be as callous as him, but we might be the same in our actions. Amen? Amen? That's the thing that we have to be careful. We might not be the same mouthing it, but we might be in the same in the actions of our lives. Look at the last bullet point here, the appointment. This is where God speaks in verse 20. We hear what the man has to say. I've acquired a lot. I've gained a lot. I'm going to enjoy a lot. I've got many years to enjoy it. And God says, time out. You don't have many years. Actually, you have Till tonight. We're not allowed to call people fool, but God is. We all, we all recognize that, right? We're not supposed to be calling people fool. We can say, that's man, that's really foolish. But God can call someone a fool when he says, you fool. Why? Because this man would have heard enough truth by this time to actually change his mind. Repentance is actually changed direction. This is a bad direction I'm going. I'm, I'm pursuing my own ways. I'm pursuing my own life. I'm pursuing my own wealth, pleasure, whatever it is, possessions, life of ease, which he actually speaks of, take up your ease. But he's a fool because this night your soul will be required of you. Jesus said in Matthew seven thirteen. enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many that go by that way. Isn't that true? Most people will hear this message and say "Eh, that's somebody else's opinion. And then this is God's truth. You can, I, can show, I only showed a few lives. To, is, that, is that not enough evidence? Do we need to show a hundred more to say that God tells us you don't know when your own soul could be called and what is it that you're living for? Are you rich towards God or not? Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment. Our date is already appointed. It's already appointed. God knows exactly when our last breath will be drawn in, and are we going to live yielded to the Christ, yielded to the Lord. Leonard Ravenhill said, The surest thing in the world is not death and taxes. Is death and eternity, yet we're so unconcerned. That's what he said in the 70s. Yet we're so unconcerned. We will, we'll act like we're concerned, but are we really concerned? Psalm ninety twelve said, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Do you know if we really say, Lord, I want to start numbering my days and making every day count, we actually will start to receive wisdom from God He'll show us how to use our time way better in 2015 than we did in 2014. And again, some of those things will be pulling your family closer together, but some of them will be saying, you know what? I'm going to go minister to those ladies at the Hilliard House because they're only there for 28 days. And if I don't catch them before they're gone, I mean, somebody has to do it. And God says, that's why I've chosen you. You're the body of Christ. I love this quote from D.L. Moody. He said, preparation for old age should begin no later than one's teens. A life which is empty of purpose until 65 will not suddenly become fulfilled at retirement. Wow. He said preparation for old age should begin no later than one's teens. That's why he wanted to win people to Christ when they were young. And if you're not a teen and you're not filling your life with the purpose of Christ It's still not too late to heed and say, Wow, that's some wisdom I'll receive. I want to look at one final life. One final life. This guy. He was also on the Titanic. His name was also John. Two Johns. John Jacob Astor IV. This was John Harper, though. John Harper, he was on the Titanic. He wasn't in first class, there were three classes. First class, ultra-wealthy, second class, middle class, and third class, the low class. He was on his way to the United States to go preach at Moody Church, which is founded by D.L. Moody in Chicago, Illinois. But he thought he was going to the United States to preach, but God actually put him on the Titanic to preach one final message on the ship. Isn't that great? Because when the ship went down, he actually was already a widower, His six-year-old daughter was on the ship with him and his sister. He put his daughter on the boat with his sister and said, you take and go away. And then he approached this one man, and uh, this one man didn't want anything to do with the gospel. He took off his life preserver. He said, here, you need this more than I do. And he began to preach on the decks of the Titanic, and he would witness to everyone he possibly could. And as the ship finally went in the water, he was now in the water swimming from boat to boat or to people that weren't in boats, one guy he swam to, rebuffed him and said, I don't want to receive Christ. He swam away, then he swam back to the guy because you only, only have a few minutes before you'll die of hypothermia. And he said the second time he came back, I received Christ, and then within minutes, I was put on a boat, he slipped down in the water. He goes, I was the last convert of John Harper. This guy also died young. Younger than John Astor IV, 39 years of age. But he was a pastor from England. And so the question is, is his life, although it it, it was cut short as well, there could be a huge difference, though. Because God actually fulfilled a calling in his final moments, and he was used to bring people to Christ. What if he wasn't on the ship? Who was el- there, There's no record of anyone else like him running from person to person. He was going to preach at D.L. Moody's church. D.L. Moody had already passed away, but Moody, the church that D.L. Moody had passed in Chicago, and listen to what D.L. Moody said, and he fulfilled D.L. Moody's same calling. Someday you will read in the papers that Moody is dead. Don't believe a word of it. At that moment I shall be more alive than I am now. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the Spirit in 1855. That which is born of the flesh may die, but that which is born of the Spirit will last forever. C.T. Studd said these words. And this would be John Harper's attitude as well. Some want to live with the sound of a church bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And that was the heart. By the way, C.T. Studd was a missionary, Trevor. That was his heart. That was D.L. Moody's heart. That they understood that you could you could acquire. By the way, D.L. Moody, brilliant man. He had a Midas touch for business. He could have forsaken being what he was called to be an evangelist. He was a gifted businessman. Everyone that knew him said he would have been a multi millionaire many times over. He truly understood business and markets. Eric Liddell, who uh, won the gold medal in the 1924 Olympics of the movie Chariots of Fire. Brilliant guy. Bilingual. Could speak uh, Chinese. He also could have been a great... and I mean, he graduated with a BS degree at Edinburgh University. Could have gone on to do great things. He dies in an internment camp in China under the, under the Japanese invasion there. But reaching people on and on. Comes down to something simple like this. And the whole world has to decide this, don't they? What Jesus is speaking of one man is really the same decision point for all men. Amen? Everyone has to make this same decision. Do we want all of these things? Bigger barns, bigger buildings, bigger houses, bigger cars, better stuff, more wealth, more fame, more leisure, more possessions. Or Jesus said it, to be rich towards God. You notice Jesus doesn't say, look in your Bible, he, he doesn't, he, there's no additional commentary. I put another verse up, but he doesn't say anything else. He says, so is he who a treasure for himself and not rich toward God. Jesus said, if you want to be rich, be rich toward God. Make that your aim. If he gives you more than that, great. Paul said he didn't care one way or the other. Counted all of it rubbish. He just didn't care. You couldn't. D.L. Moody said once he was baptized by the Holy Spirit, he never said, I never cared a lick anymore about that. He said, I don't even care anymore about the Yankees or anything else except for wedding souls. I, I, by the way, have not reached that point. I, I, I want to get to that point. But he had reached that point that he just didn't care about any other things except for the Lord. And as we come to a close, think about this from Jesus. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Didn't he? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Here's the question for us. Is our kingdom of this world? Our little kingdom. Our little stuff. He said his kingdom is not of this world. We know his kingdom is not of this world. He made it clear. But we have to sometimes say, is our kingdom of this world? look. The Titanic, I'm closing my Bible here, see? The Titanic, when you got on the Titanic, there was three classes of passengers, first class, second class, third class. When they posted after the sinking, there was only two lists. It said this, these are the words, it said, those saved, those known to be lost. there was no third-class passengers anymore. There was no first-class passengers anymore. There was no second-class passengers anymore. There was those saved and those known to be lost. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you love us so much to speak the truth and love to us. You sent your Son, a missionary, to a lost world. You weren't just speaking to the wealthy. You were speaking to the middle class. You were speaking to the poor. You were speaking to all when you said, what will it profit us if we gain the whole world and lose our own soul? And so, Lord, we we confess that we too, even those of us who know you as Lord and Savior, are sometimes attracted to the things around us. Lord, we become enamored with them. We become preoccupied with them. But, Lord, Lord, We ask that you would forgive us. We want to be rich towards God. Through the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ and your shed blood. Before we close...